Okay, and welcome everyone on Crowdcast. Welcome LinkedIn. We have David Noor today who will be joining the Real Ears podcast. But before we begin, folks, just want to make sure you are all aware that the Real Leaders Impact Awards are going on right now. What is impact to you? To me, it's transforming lives. As your business is building a business around transforming lives, go online to realleaders.com and apply your company today. For the Realtors Impact Awards, you'll be able to reach 30,000 CEOs, have 2 million impressions online, and have your CEO represent your company at the Realtors Impact Awards ceremony on January 20th, 2021. That being said, folks, if you enjoy this episode today, you enjoyed David today, and I know you will, go on to Apple Podcasts, search the Realtors Podcast with Kevin Edwards, and make sure you subscribe so you can listen to the full episode later and share David's message with as many people as possible. We got a link flying in now as well. Last thing, David, we're trying to get 50 reviews by the end of August, my friend. 50 reviews, right? We're at 32. We were at 20 last week. People are, are stepping up to the plate, but we're still a little short and I don't want to move the goalpost back. So I need everyone listening to this to go on the Real Ears podcast on Apple Podcasts. Scroll all the way down to the bottom. And then leave a review. And with that being said. But I want you and your audience to hear this. Sociologists tell us that an average individual can proactively manage about 100 to 150 relationships. Hmm. So, Kevin, million dollar question of you. Which ones? (laughs) And how do you know? And if you can't invest in everybody equally, how will you then prioritize which relationships to invest in? You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, where leaders keep it real. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that was the voice of relationship economics advisor, David Noor, who joins the show to help you prioritize your relationships. Also on today's episode, Noor gives you 16 signals that will determine the future of work, why storytelling is a leadership competency, and that business leaders cannot cut their way to growth. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the real David Noor. Enjoy. We will do a podcast here in five, four, three, two, and one. And welcome everyone to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, sitting today at the intersection between the future of work and strategic relationships is our friend, Mr. David Neuer. David, thanks for being with us today. Kevin, it's good to be with you. So you're sitting at, at the intersection right now. How does it feel? Are you kind of leaning on one side or the other? Is it? Is it is. It is. You remember being playing dodgeball? You know, you're yeah. just, you know, that's what I'm doing every day. Just playing dodgeball. And you, you can dodge a wrench. You can dodge a ball, my friend. Yeah, it's, it's uh, joking aside. It is, uh, it is a really interesting time and place. And uh, you you you, cla- you see the classic glass half empty, glass half full mindset. Uh, and and uh, I'm optimistic. I'm energized. We're doing really interesting work with really interesting people. Uh, so I'm excited. Excited about uh, the COVID tailwind. I'm excited. Now, before we go down that route, let's just make sure we the audience gets to know you a little bit. What are strategic relationships essentially, and how did you get involved with them? Why are they so important, and where'd you come from? Sure. So, uh, on a completely personal note, I'm originally from Iran. Uh, Kevin, I came in 1981 
with a suitcase, a hundred bucks, didn't know anybody and didn't speak a word of English. Mom and dad still live there. Uh, they send me here. I, I, I live with an, an uncle that I hadn't seen since birth. Finished high school here, undergrad, grad school, and uh, been blessed to spend most of my career in sales, marketing, consulting, uh, private equity, and on my own for the last almost two decades. And I didn't get it then, but I think I was five or six years old walking through the bazaars of Iran with my dad. And beyond the list that mom needed you know, for the house or the things you had to get done, dad had a relationship list. And, and uh, he made sure that we went and saw the individuals that were critical, uh, whether he needed access to a plumber or, or a politician. And he made sure that we touched base with value add and checked in on people. And it's, it's, a, it's a sign, it's one example, Kevin, of how the rest of the world builds relationships first from which they do business. Mm. Unfortunately, as Americans or even Westerners, we're so focused on the business part that if and only if the business part works, we'll then may ask, hey, how are you? And how's your significant other? And maybe how are your kids? And how are you guys dealing with this COVID? And so hence the disconnect when we go to places and people don't look like us, sound like us, or come from our backgrounds. So I've been on a mission for the last you know, two decades of helping leaders uh, really understand not just the importance of their relationships, but their significance mm. in driving growth and in driving innovation and in making real change last in talent, not just acquisition, but retention in creating net new growth opportunities. I would submit all of those are propelled, bolstered, accelerated through this idea of strategic relationships. Now let's go back to your father. He had uh, notes of his uh, the plumber or the president. Um, now that's a fulfilled life, right? You're looking for to get perspectives from different people, not just in your area. I don't want to just read a ton of business books. I want to read arts, music, uh, science. How important is a diversified relationships, and what are you looking for specifically in strategy? Uh, no, no question. One of the biggest assets in your portfolio relationships. And that's really what I want the audience to think about. Less of a transaction, more about a transformational relationships over some period of time. Mm. One of its biggest assets, it's beyond the depth, how well you and I know each other and how relevant you may be or we may be to each other. It's really, it's diversity. And when we talk about diversity, we often talk about you know gender or ethnic, and those are important. We don't talk enough about cognitive diversity. Kevin, you, you want relationships who think very differently than you do. You want relationships who are going to challenge your assumptions. You want relationships who are going to bring a very different lens at this exact same thing the two of us are looking at. But because of where they've been and what they've done and their experiences, they'll bring up a perspective that you just haven't had a chance or you haven't thought of. That's how we learn. That's how we grow. If you think of our adult learning and growth spectrum, one end is very passive, right? You and I read articles, we read books, very passive. We can do it on our own. On the exact opposite side is the immersive. It's the experiential. I would submit it's relational because we learn by interacting with others. And strategic relationships, by definition, push us beyond our own 
perceived limitations. They elevate our thinking. They elevate our perspective. They shed a light onto something we haven't even thought of. Now, let's dive into that a little bit further, expand on this. Uh, when I say I'm, I'm busy doing my work late night and I say, okay, you know, I just got invited to go somewhere. I'll go do that. And I come back and I say, you know what? That was actually a really nice, meaningful experience. How does one comprehend just a normal everyday experience and running into other people? And, and how do you uh, trigger that and, and, and push that into your personal or, or, or sure. business life? So, so let me take that scenario and dissect it from a relationship lens, right? Number one, uh, a, a, an executive I admire, Harry Kramer, former Baxter CEO, now private equity VC executive, has written a book. I think it's called 168 Hours or maybe Your 168. But the premise is, Kevin, we all have 168 hours in any given week. You have to sleep at some point. You have to eat some point. You want to spend time with your friends. So the, the work productive part of it is limited. As such, think about the events you choose to attend. They're seldom from an ad. A lot of times, it's, it's, I may call somebody and say, hey, you know anything about this? Or let's go together. Or you hear about events, the best events through others, right? Um, I've attended, you know, at TED events and and Renaissance Weekend and Milken Institute and Aspen Institute and a lot of the Thinkers 50. And a lot of these phenomenal global events is typically somebody else that recommends it and says, you've got to be at CES, right? So the events, the, the highest quality events we tend to attend, uh, we tend to attend are recommendations by our relationships that we like, we respect, we trust, number one. Number two. When you go there, let's say you meet some people. Most of us back in the day when we used to get together at meetings and events, we'd come back with a stack of business cards, right? We all have them. Number one, it's very difficult at these events to have any meaningful conversations, right? So I'm a big believer of whet their appetite and leave them wanting more. Nobody wants to know everything you know. Whet their appetite and leave them wanting more. So if you do that and then immediately follow through which is a process, not follow up, which is a transaction, you'll create the next opportunity for an interaction. Again, back in the good old days of February 2020, when we used to meet, it'd be a cup of coffee or it'd be a potential meal or it'd be a, some sort of a follow-on discussion. And I'm not walking into that next meeting, next interaction blindly. I've done my homework on the individual, on their organization, on their industry, which is another one of those really foundational uh, attributes of strategic relationships is you have to do your homework. You have to do the heavy lifting to figure out what Kevin's about. What, what is, you know, how does Kevin show up online? So when I show up, I've thought about, and here's the key part, not what Kevin can do for me. That, most people show up with their hand out. When I talk about strategic relationships, I'm always thinking, how can I be an asset? How can I add value? How can I make sure they're better off because they've gotten to know me. Mm. And this idea of reciprocating first elevates you above everybody else who will never follow up, everybody else who doesn't show up having done their homework, and everybody else who doesn't think, how do I invest before I ask for a return on that investment? So this law of reciprocation, uh, is there a threshold you have to reach or... Uh, yeah, like a, cru a crucible or a threshold you have to reach in order to get them to come back. I got, I know it's got to be different for many different examples and different people, but what really is it 
that you believe is going to get someone to reach back out to you? Yeah, I'm a big believer of focus on doing fewer things, but more impactful things, right? So number one, I, I don't, you know, I've got this rule of three. Uh, you have to, you know, immediately follow up within three days of having met them. Otherwise, they're not going to care. They're not going to remember you six months from now. Number two, don't commit to any more than three action items, next steps, right? So in our conversation, you bring up something that reminds me of, hey, I just read a McKinsey paper on that, or I just saw something that I think would be relevant. Well, I know someone that would be relevant to what you're trying to do, no more than three. And make sure they're the most impactful three. Don't just toss an email over the wall, pick up the phone or do a Zoom session or some way of connecting. So become a purveyor of relationships and they will, again, immediately see you as a, as a different tier than all the people, like I said, who never follow up or they're very passive, right? How many times did you and I meet people and they say, well, it's nice to know about you or it's nice to meet you. Well, that's great, but that doesn't really add any value here, right? So elevating yourself above the noise, the first step, the, the quality of that value add is step two and following through. So follow through, I said earlier, is a process. Not just Kevin, let me introduce you to John, who might be of interest to you. Let me put the two of you together and let me follow through afterwards. Did you guys meet? And how was that conversation? And how did it go? And I had a supposition when I put the two of you together, was, I, was, I, was it accurate? What, did, did you actually find value in your discussions? So that's an example of following through to make sure that value is not just created, but it's delivered and it creates impact. And they see you as the source of that value creation. Got it. Now, David, I just want to make sure I'm sticking on on this path and kind of what you're saying. Now, I want to jump back to this. If I go to a lot of events that are business oriented because people are telling me about them the same thing and they're all around my business and they're about business and business and business, my notepad that had the plumbers and the presidents is going to be filled with more presidents than it is going to be the plumbers. So how does one continually... Uh, understand that they need to reach back out to more plumbers. And where do you find that? How do you yourself reach out to people that are outside of your space? No question. So when I said divert the cognitive diversity, and I said you need diverse people in your portfolio of relationships, it's important to think about uh, a holistic you and, and, and a relationship ecosystem. So uh, for years, we had uh, monthly dinners at our home. And Kevin, I would invite literally a family from our kids' school and someone from our church. We would invite an investor and an entrepreneur. Mm. We would invite a curator of a local uh, art exhibit. And we would invite somebody who is passionate about art. There's got to be some relevancy when you put people together. But they were from very different walks of life because they were fascinating. Um, Renaissance Weekend is another example of this. Uh, a former ambassador and his wife thought, how cool would it be to just get very eclectic, very different group of people together? And now they do multiple events a year and they're fabulous because you'll go and at one session, you're sitting next to a Nobel laureate. The next session, you're sitting next to a city mayor. Next session, you're sitting next to a military brass. and and. On surface, they have nothing to do with each other, but they're all interesting people, and which makes you interesting, right? And, and it, again, it helps you really cr create a, a broader, more diverse 
uh, portfolio of relationships. In terms of my own efforts, obviously I'm active in my community. I'm, I'm an old Eagle Scout. My son's Eagle, uh, an Eagle Scout, so we're involved in scouting. Uh, my daughter's a freshman at Georgia Tech, so we're getting to know the Georgia Tech parents. Another son, you know, if son plays lacrosse, so we're involved with with that. So the more diverse your buckets of relationships, the more, the broader your influence footprint. And that's how you create that diversity in your relationship portfolio. I like that. And how intentional are you about that, by the way? Like, obviously, right now, it's a little bit different times, but how intentional were you pre-COVID about having different groups over? Yeah, interestingly enough, I had this conversation with, with, with an executive earlier today. Unfortunately, most people I meet, if you look at their scenarios today, relationships are reactive, they are haphazard, and they're transactional. What I try to do is be proactive slash very intentional, create a deeper value add with every interaction, and make sure that you focus on transformation more than you do transaction. Now, that's easier said than done. But I want you and your audience to hear this. Sociologists tell us that an average individual can proactively manage about 100 to 150 relationships. Hmm. So, Kevin, million-dollar question of you. Which ones? (laughs) And how do you know? And if you can't invest in everybody equally, how will you then prioritize which relationships to invest in? By definition, and I learned this years ago in engineering, you cannot improve something you don't measure. So you're exactly right. You have to be more intentional about relationships you choose to invest in and make no mistake about it, midst of this pandemic or otherwise, on any given day, we all have a choice. If I only have so many hours in a week, I choose to call these individuals, follow up with these people, prioritize these relationships. Those are all choices. And if you're only making those choices based on who's on your pipeline or who's on your project or your immediate, you know, potential investors or whatever the case may be, you have relational blind spots because you're ignoring others that could be hugely valuable in your journey from now to next. Is there a way to, to lower uh, the, the shield, lower the blind spots and open my eyes, open my brain? Yeah. And be, how, how do you do that? Yeah, so I think that there's there's three things I often think about. One, you have to genuinely be curious about others, right? That sense of curiosity. So when I read an article, uh, I, a lot of times I follow the, the 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 author of that article on Twitter, and I'm and I'm watching kind of what else they write about. Um, they reference a company in the article. I look up that executive on LinkedIn, and I'm curious about not just what they're doing, but kind of their relationship ecosystem and, and the role of relationships in their success. Um, so curiosity is a big one. Two, get very succinct. I said this earlier on your journey from now to next. So, and this is a lot of what I'm writing about in this next book. Where am I today? What's going well? What are some of the things I'm struggling with? Kevin, more importantly, where am I going? Right? What, what will work look like? And let's just take work for a second. What will work look like for me in the next five years, in the next 10 years? What skills, what knowledge, what behaviors do I want to acquire, develop, elevate? What relationships would be most instrumental in accelerating my path in that journey? So if I can get there in three years or two years instead of five, 
are there relationships that can create, in essence, nonlinear growth for me, not just that linear growth? Mm. And this is really important for your audience to hear. My role isn't to teach anybody how to manipulate others or use others. That's not what it's about. It's about that 150 relationship focus that I mentioned to you. Mm. And I've actually written about this. I call it the Jerry Maguire business model, right? How do we focus on instead of casting a massive net to a lot of people, probably really nice people that are just not going to be relevant. How do I focus on fewer relationships, but build deeper, more meaningful, more impactful relationships? And this is my love-hate relationships with social media, right? How many people are you and I connected on LinkedIn where we don't really know them that well? Mm. I just, I'd rather have fewer, but really real, meaningful relationships that I can count on and likewise, they feel like I can add value to their lives and improve their conditions. Well, it's almost as if it's the same thing that we were taught when we were kids, right? It's like a, my father always told me, you're, you're the average of your friends, you know, pick the right friends, you know, and, and avoid the ones that are taking you down the wrong path. You're exactly right. Average of actually five friends. You're average, you're average of your five closest relationships. Absolutely right. And that's why I call it your portfolio relationships, because if you think of them as investments, any and every astute investor is always looking for opportunities to upgrade, enhance, raise the value of their portfolio. Mm. Again, this is really important. This isn't about using people or always looking for a stare up. If you raise the bar on who you are and what you're about and your education and your growth and your propensity to soak up life, Kevin, yeah, you'd be amazed of the relationships that you'll uncover, you'll nurture, you'll develop, you'll capitalize on to create opportunities you wouldn't have otherwise. David, have your relationships strengthened while being in, in quarantine and, and having to move operations, let's say, and, t- and turn to the house, or have they been affected at all? Oh, my gosh. It, it, it So when... You know, just again, uh, data point for your audience. I was on the road 208 days last year. I delivered 62 global speaking engagements. So I listen, I, I'm used to, you know, being on the road. Some people get in a car to go to work. I used to get in planes to go to work. So this whole idea of, you know, when, when, when the pandemic really took off, it dawned on me that I'm not going to be traveling anytime soon. I'm not going to be on a stage. Clients are not going to want me in their buildings or anybody else in their buildings. So I immediately started making a list. I made a list of my top 100 relationships. And Kevin, I got on the phone. And it wasn't to sell them anything. It wasn't, hey, let me come and consult or coach you. It was just, how you doing? And what's happening with you guys? And helping people just deal with that initial shock, right? And then I've now gone through the list again. And now, hey, just touching base. How, how are things going? And people have gotten beyond the shock. Now they're thinking about, less of this pandemic as a beginning, middle, and an end, and more of something we're just going to have to live with, right? Mm -hmm. Masks are not going to go away. Social distances are not going to go away anytime soon. So how do we adapt kind of to a very different environment? So unequivocally, relationships were not only an incredible source of insights for me early on in this pandemic and have been since then because of their diversity, geographic, industry, location, whatnot, different stature levels, but also a phenomenal uh, spring of ideas. Kevin, I'm energized. I'm excited about helping a few clients really rethink, reimagine, reinvent key parts of their business. 
in coaching. I'm helping a couple of executives go beyond success to really understanding their significance. Because again, we're all stuck at home, right? So if you can't get on a plane and go to board meetings, or you can't go see clients or go see suppliers or investors or whatnot, we're all having to figure out how to do digital relationships much better than we've ever had to do before. So when you made these these touches out to the your friends, your top 100, what are you inquiring them on uh, for the future of work, for innovation? Uh, what are some examples you could share with our audience to give them uh, and take them inside the mindset of someone that deals with this on a day to day basis? Sure. So first and foremost, uh, again, I'm trying to gauge the uh, you know the impact of this pandemic on them, their families, their lives, their teams, their organizations. Right. So early on. A lot of executives, rightfully so, took a defensive posture, right? They cut. They cut expenses. They cut people. They cut. Kevin, I don't know of any organization that can cut its way to growth. It just it can't be done. So beyond, again, the initial shock, we've been living with this pandemic now for a while. Now I'm asking, okay, so you took a defensive posture. Tell me about your offensive strategy. Tell me about... How are you able to maneuver? Now, maneuverability requires three things. Number one, a really strong balance sheet, right? If you have a strong financial position, it's really easy to maneuver. Number two, what I call sector variance, which is certain industry sectors in this pandemic are actually doing well. I've got several clients that they're having one of the best years because what they make, what they deliver is in demand. Think of technology infrastructure. Think of health, you know, certain health services or health insurance or, right, their business is growing. They're doing well. To succeed in that, taking advantage of that sector variance, you need labor flex. Labor flex is all about how do we reskill, redeploy, retrain our talent in other directions. So I'm asking a lot of questions about, tell me about your relationships. Tell me about how are you nurturing? How are you developing and elevating your talent? Last but not least is really a, a pivot on their capabilities. So think about it a second. If your value proposition is predicated by physical proximity, newsflash, we're not going to get together physically for some time, right? Sorry, I thought bowling alleys were petri dishes before all this. We're not, I'm not going back to a bowling alley, right? So if we're not going to get together anytime soon, how will you now deliver your value add virtually, remotely, create different products, services. So these are the conversations we're having. I'm fascinated by how relationships, again, become enablers of every one of those. What are some signals or some trends you're paying attention to that are giving you some sort of indication of how the future of work is going to look like in, let's just say, five years? Great, great question. So uh, I actually have six grad students doing social science research for me, and we've identified 15 forces that I believe and I'm writing about that will act as headwind, tailwind, or turbulence in the future of not just work, but as the pandemic has proven, it's the way we live. It's the way we play. It's the way we give. And by the way, the pandemic is, a, as your audience may know, is an example of something called the black swan event, where we know these things are going to happen. We know what a pandemic is. We've seen them before. We just don't know when they're going to happen. 
or the economic or social impact of them, right? And that's just one of the 15 forces. Let me share with your audience really three that I think will really impact the way I hope they'll think about the future of their work, their play, their lives, the way they give. Number one is grit. Angela Duckworth wrote a seminal book by the title, and it's really the intersection of passion and perseverance. And I distinctly remember a story about a guy named Jim Thorpe. Kevin, he was a 1912 Olympian. He was a, a, a Native American from Oklahoma. And the morning of his race, his track shoes were stolen. And one of the most famous pictures of him, if you look down, you'll see that he's wearing two different colored socks. Well, it turns out that before his race, he found a pair of shoes in the garbage. He put on a second pair of socks on one foot. They were different sizes, just so it would fit. And that day he won two gold medals. That's a testament to the grit that it takes to not let challenges, obstacles get in your way, but succeed despite of them, in spite of them. So grit is one that I believe will absolutely set people apart. Number two, visual storytelling. I believe storytelling is a new leadership competency. If you look at some of the stocks who are, in an absorbent manner on a massive increase, they're not really doing anything other than telling phenomenal stories about how they see the evolution of their organizations. Mm. Think of Tesla, think of Amazon, right? And I believe visual storytelling makes that, that ability much more succinct, much more memorable, much more impactful. So I believe visual storytelling is unequivocally a new leadership competency that needs to cascade through the organization. Last but not least is this idea of, and, and in a purely selfish manner, is this idea of co-creation. As you know, I wrote a book by that title. And from my private equity days, there were really three ways to add value. You're either going to build it, you're going to partner for it, or you're going to buy it. Building takes too long. Partnering for it, not enough control. Buying, you've got all kinds of risks when you acquire something. I believe the fourth way to create exponential value is co-creation. And co-creation is fundamentally about two or more parties coming together with very unique set of expertise, deep relationships, by the way. Very difficult to co-create with somebody you've just met. But deep set of expertise. And they bring their unique expertise to create something together that neither side could have done alone. So let me give you an example. I'll give you two. Uh, you may have seen those Frappuccino, uh, the Starbucks Frappuccino drinks. Of course. I had one this morning. Beautiful. It's a, it's, a, it's a co-creation between Starbucks and Pepsi. Because Starbucks knows coffee. Pepsi knew bottling, distribution, how to keep those things fresh. And it's become a massive business for them. Here's one you may have not heard of. Adidas, the athletic company, partnered with a German transit system to embed the transit, what we use as, as cards, into the tennis shoes. So you can just walk onto the train without having to swipe anything. Now, take that idea and extrapolate it forward. A, Adidas wanted, doesn't want to be in the transit business. The transit company doesn't want to be in the athletic clothing and whatnot business. Everybody's talking about wearables. Here are two companies that have brought their respective strengths 
to create something that neither one could have done alone. Now imagine people that need secured access. So now my shoes act as my security and I can just walk through areas that, 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 I, that I need them. By the way, our footprint is as unique as our fingerprint. Mm. So people are concerned about security. What if somebody steals your shoes? They wouldn't be able to use it. But that's an example of co-creation that I believe will create new growth opportunities. The days of any of us walking into any room with all the answers are long gone. The market is way too dynamic. You need to really think about the portfolio of relationships you have, where those unique strengths lie, and how can you really co-create something together that will go far beyond what any of you could have done by yourself. Interesting. So is that the framework then? Is it to identify the strongest partners and then innovate something together based off these signals or these trends? Yeah. In, in the co-create book, I actually created a, a co-create canvas. And the premise is it has to start with the strategic relationships. It has to start with, and by the way, relationships are not between logos. They're not between buildings. They're between individuals. You and I, CEOs of two separate companies, we know each other. We like each other. We trust each other. We respect each other. We have a good history of having created value for each other. We come together around, and you need a lighthouse. You need a guiding light. I call it a common mission, common vision, or a common enemy. But you need that guiding light. And then we bring a not a, not a battalion, but a SEAL Team 6 together to really assess what's the potential market opportunity, where could we quickly prototype or pilot something together to ensure that we're solving a real problem worth solving. And that's what we go take to market together. Yeah. How radical of a shift do you see our work environment looking like in the next five years? I know I asked that. I want to go and expand on this a little bit. And here's a few examples that we've had on the show. One, the G10, the uh, largest countries in the world that printed more money than ever beforehand, okay? Um, so when that happens, think of it as a boat. If businesses are a boat, you have money showering on them and the assets um, the assets that are, are, are also rising. So we have gold that's rising. We have uh, Bitcoin. We have every single, the S&P 500. All these stocks are rising because the money from people are going into these assets, right? Not into businesses right now. So we have Money being uh, like dr- you know drowning these boats. Uh, we have uh, the consumers that aren't putting money back into the businesses other than in equity. Something might happen. So people are saying a crash might be coming. Uh, we don't know when there's going to be a cure. We don't know how we're going to attack this protein that's not even human life. Like we don't know what's going to happen. What are some of these trends? These big mega trends that you're looking into, and how do you actually see the business environment changing in the next five years? Yeah, so let me again, let me give you and your audience three to think about. Number one, I think there's a really interesting McKinsey paper that said like an estimated 46% of the U.S. workforce will not need to physically return to a office. Okay. One, of the, one of the bizarre things we've learned in this working from home is we're actually pretty productive. Now, some of us have been working from home for a while, but those that used to physically go into a building – they figured out that listen with the right equipment, right? And uh, you know, I gotta I gotta elevate my digital footprint or presence. I need to enhance my pipe, maybe come into my house. And but you know what? I can be pretty productive because I don't have to commute. I don't have the water cooler. I, I, you know, and and I can focus on uh, these sprints of work instead of 
you know, elongated you know, amounts of time. So, so I think this working from home is going to become much more the norm, which, by the way, it challenges one of the biggest old school management thinking of you have to be present for the work to get done. Think about that. The ripple effect of that is now I can attract talent and recruit talent anywhere. I can have all kinds of remote teams. I can truly have, you know, and I can retain great talent to stay with us regardless of where they want to go. There's a big migration away from urban to the suburbs. Great. Go work wherever you want to work. As long as you've got high-speed access, we're good, right? So this working from home, I think, is here to stay. Number two, again, I wrote in Co-Create, and it's really, really kind of coming front and center with this pandemic. Kevin, I call it the, the Hollywood talent model. If you think about Hollywood for a second, very few people actually work for the studio. The studio will license a screenplay, hires an executive producer who hires a director, and they'll hire the front of the camera talent and behind the camera talent. The only job security anybody has is A, the quality of their work, two, the quality of their relationships. They'll work together on something for two, three plus years. When that movie production is done, they're done. They're moving on to the next one. Now, beyond contractors, beyond freelancers, I believe that model is going to become more prevalent. So think of the gig economy inside companies, right? Which means the days of our parents staying at a job for 25 to 50 years for a pin or a watch, those days are long gone. This is about, again, sprints of work. Uh, so instead of what do you do, I think we're going to start asking, what are you working on? Because that'll give you a, a better flavor of what people are up to. The last thing is today, humans are augmenting technology. I would submit within the next five years, we're going to see a lot more of tech augmenting human creativity, human problem solving. The things that, you know, we're going to get beyond AI and blockchain, a lot of these technologies are going to get rid of the mundane. I, I literally saw a demonstration of an AI engine a couple of days ago, Kevin, that scanned and analyzed 10,000 sheets in about eight seconds. So if your value add is looking over documents, think of attorneys, think of accountants. I, 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 I apologize for being the bearer of bad news, but there's, there's data that shows 40% of the revenue, top-line revenue, of professional service firms are going to go away in the next five years. Why? Because that mundane technology is going to be able to do all that mundane work. So this is the time to, and I love this, learn, unlearn, relearn, new skills, new capabilities. You have to adapt your knowledge, your skills, your behaviors in that, as I said earlier, your journey from now to next. Because we're going to see a lot more technology, again, do a lot of that mundane that isn't good use of our innate skills. I love the answer, Dave. Really thought-provoking. Now, let's let's stick to these two things for this point in time: gig economy, automation. Let's start with automation, or let's start with the gig economy. Let's later, you know, go back to automation later. 
gig economy. I want to give you a different perspective right now. I live here in the great state of California. They've just said, you know, the largest gig economy producer, Uber, can Uber. no longer provide their employees with time flexibility. You have to work for eight hours because I think the central question comes down to, is this good for business? Do we want uh, companies to be like this? Do we want them with the Hollywood work model where they're contracting? They don't have uh, uh, benefits. They don't have insurance. They don't have uh, all these things that come with what should be a uh, successful business model or a successful human life to provide these needs for your players. What do you have to say about that in terms of the future of work sure. for the gig economy? Yeah, it's, it's the same response I give to people about Amazon is not putting retailers out of business. It's a lack of their customer centricity. It's a lack of their flexibility. It's a lack of their ability to innovate. Netflix did not put Blockbuster out of business. I, if you remember, you, you remember renting movies from Blockbuster? Of course, yeah. You remember driving 90 miles an hour to return the stupid thing so we wouldn't pay the $1.50 late fee? Yes. <laughs> right? It's lack of their ability to adapt and change that gave Netflix the opportunity to capture that market. So I believe the only loyalty a company should expect from an employee is the organization's ability to constantly challenge and help that employee learn, grow, and adapt. Conversely, the only guarantee the employee has is the value that you create on any given, every given day for the people who pay us. So I, I don't have an answer. I, I don't know what that gig economy within a corporate environment could look like. Do we want those types of companies? I actually think they're gonna create more opportunities. If uh, one of the one of the fascinating data points from the hundred executives I mentioned that I called at the beginning of this pandemic, their biggest gratification, if there's such a thing, is they are reconnecting Kevin with their families. They are spending more time with their loved ones. They are they may not be able to get on a plane and go to Europe for vacation, but you know what? They're getting their cars and driving to the beach for vacation. So. I think it's going to create a more fulfilled life when we can pick and choose when we work, how we work, and the value we create for the compensation that we receive. And I think if we take on more of that opportunity to learn, grow, and increase, I'm writing about this in our next book, if I increase my market value, I'm no longer tied down with a salary and a paycheck. Because now that market value, I can go in a free market and shop that market value around to others. And for this client, I'm helping him build a website. For this client, I'm an AI expert. For this client, I'm a blockchain, as an example. For this client, I'm running around and doing errands for them. But it gives me flexibility to create value, deliver value, and I believe gain a higher compensation and a higher quality of life because of the work that I'm doing. Oh, I totally agree with you 100%. Flexibility is what people want nowadays. And that's that's amazing. You could have three different jobs that you all love and you're making the same income. You know, more power to you. I just think it's very uh, suppressive of a move by the, the you know, our government over here. And I think it's I think the, the drivers don't like it. You know, you've got college kids that are literally 
uh, going to schools that they made plans for. He said, you know what? I can drive Uber for four years and I can pay off this amount of debt sure. in my college sure. because of also administration costs. I want to get into this later. And the future of education is changing too. But it's just ridiculous. So gig economy, uh, do you have a, a follow up on that? Yeah, I, I, I listen, I, I grew up um, uh, I grew up in an environment where we believed individual exceptionalism and and a limited scope and size of government. And in midst of challenges, that's when new business models come, right? And new opportunities come. So listen, I you know, the major hospitality firms have been my clients. Very few of them saw Airbnb coming. And and right, I'm not sure they still have an answer to date. Right. So what I'm most excited about is when California creates those types of environments, the people that genuinely want to pay off their college debt and want to drive for Uber are going to move somewhere else. Hmm. And as citizens, we have every opportunity to make sure our voices are heard by voting, by getting involved. You're going to love this. I told somebody else, uh, somebody else told me, you know, we should all stop complaining because 20% don't care and 80% are glad it's your problem and not theirs, right? So if it's your challenge, do something about it, right? Stand up, but the sooner we stand up our own two feet and become less dependent on any institution, I think the more opportunities, the more doors we're gonna be able to open for personal and professional growth, for satisfaction, for success, for these kinds of things. So. I, I'm not surprised. I was talking to a friend who moved from California to Texas, another friend moved from California to Denver, and they've been in California for 30 some odd years. And when I asked them why, the consistent feedback is, this is no longer the California that I moved to. Yeah, 100%. No, it's not. Unfortunately, I moved down here two years ago, and now we're just paying a ton of taxes to not use our, uh, anyway, another conversation. Uh Automation was the, the the thing we put in the parking lot there. I want to jump into this. For leaders listening to this that don't want to be the blockbusters, that don't want to be uh, the organizations that are getting ran out by companies that are smarter than them, how do they? How important is it for a CEO of an organization or a leader of an organization to understand the power of automation? Yeah, I, I can't emphasize this point enough. Digital is it just went from a luxury to a necessity. If you need to think of digital as the new oil, you need to think of it as the new renewable energy. And, and the fundamental challenge is the bigger the organization gets, Kevin, the more difficult it is for them, for that perfect execution box to really think and lead differently. I genuinely believe that because Think about what they've done. They've perfected processes and steps, and they know how to do their core business. As a matter of fact, joking aside, um, uh, I, I, I call friends who are general counsel and chief compliance and chief legal officers. I jokingly call them oncologists because their job is anything new, anything fresh, anything exciting, their job is to dig it out and kill it. So what we do with our global clients is – away from that core business. Let let the core business iterate, which is doing the same thing better. Separately, create what we call a sandbox engine. And this sandbox engine is actually led by a chief entrepreneur. And that group, away from the core business, 
their mission, their vision is to go explore and really build competencies and capabilities for inquiry, for experimentation, and for exploration. And if you get them away from the traditional corporate governance and the KPIs and the metrics and the peanut butter spreading of resources and help them think more like a VC where they were going to make 10 prudent bets, knowing that eight of them will absolutely fail. But the two that succeed are going to be the future of the core business. Now you've got an engine that is capable, competent of doing just that, exploring. And for your listeners, if you don't invest in those capabilities and competencies to explore now, you're going to struggle to remain relevant. You're going to struggle to matter. You, 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 you know, 20 years ago, 30 years, 50 years ago, nobody thought JCPenney, the catalog company would all buy things from, would be in trouble if they are, or Sears would go away, or, and I'm dating myself. I had, I think, seven or eight different generations of the BlackBerry device. Remember how big Nokia was in the cell phone business? I mean, there's, you know, our, our industries are, you know, covered with carnage from leaders who they saw the change coming. They weren't willing or able to explore evolutions of their DNA. And that's exactly what it takes. Take the core business. That core business is paying the bills, right? We got to keep the lights on. Let the core business do what the core business does. A separate entity can be that exploration engine. And I also don't think that leaders are paying attention to the algorithms that are already running their business, whether they like it or not. Uh, have you, I don't know if you worked with any airlines organizations, but uh, I'll tell you about a flight that was going from Chicago to Louisville, Kentucky. Famous flight because uh, it got overbooked, got overbooked by an algorithm. And of course, they come on the plane. They say, hey, we need three passengers to come off and uh, we're going to give you $400 to stay here. Of course, it was an algorithm that picked this number, picked the people that are budget travelers. And one of the budget travelers threw a tantrum, threw a fit, uh, got beat up by the police, got dragged out. And he was quoted saying, kill me now, kill me now. Um, that all came from the, the United Airlines flight that made national news, was all over social media and just completely tanked the company and drove out this CEO who was known as this great prestigious CEO. All because they didn't understand algorithms algorithms so how do you get away from algorithms and be more people-centric in a day and age where an algorithm will uh, label you as somebody that you might not be no question data is going to continue to play uh, an increasingly critical role in how leaders identify root causes of not just what's happening but why it's happening Right. I think that I think that's going to be that much more important. I'm coaching a lot of leaders to look at leading drivers, not lagging indicators. Right. None of us drive our cars by looking in the rearview mirror. Right. So the numbers from last month, last quarter, last year are nearly as helpful as how can we predict the numbers or potential trends ahead? Number one. Number two, I made a comment earlier that relationships are not between logos or buildings. Nobody has a relationship with United Airlines. Relationships are between individuals. And the minute any 
business forgets that they're fundamental beyond your products, beyond your services. We're all fundamentally in the relationship business. I have a relationship with a local airline that's based here in Atlanta. And thankfully, I, I've flown enough where they at least know me or they know my number and they know my preferences. And right. But here's here's my so so absolutely they have to remember that they're fundamentally in the relationship business. The data should support, enable the relationship, not in lieu of it or replace it. Mm. But let's think about that airline example for a second. The airlines have been in business for a whole bunch of years. They've got that business down. This is an example of that core and sandbox that I brought up, right? They've got that business down pat. They know how to fly. They know how to get passengers in mass numbers from point A to point B. And So when this pandemic hit, the defensive posture was, let's go park a whole bunch of planes in Arizona. Let's cut back on our routes. Let's right cut back on our staff and on and on and on. I wonder how many of them are thinking about accelerating their strategies around air taxis. I wonder how many of them are investing in drones that can move people from top of one building to another. I wonder how many of them are thinking about flight not as a mass moving bus, but a more personalized experience. Mm. Kevin, who better to lead that effort than people who are already in that, in, that, in that world? The challenge is they're so stuck in that core business that they can't think of other businesses that could potentially cannibalize the core. Mm. But when everybody stopped flying or most everybody stopped flying, what better opportunity? And this is the fundamental difference between visionary leaders and those who just follow. Visionary leaders right now are seeing this global pandemic as an impetus, as an opportunity to rethink, reimagine, reinvent. Let's look at, let's go make prudent bets on parts of our business that could be bigger than what we have today. Mm, definitely. And I think that's a huge opportunity. Now, David, how are you yourself reinventing your own personal brand, your own your own image, your own business now that we're at home? I know you got a nice camera, better camera than I do. So it's got to be something like that, huh? Yeah, I I, uh, I think you would be uh, uh, disappointed if I didn't eat my own cooking. So so when again, when the pandemic uh, uh, first hit, I immediately invested in a, you know, I turned a home office into a full video production facility. So I'm right now looking at three monitors, cameras, lights, microphones, so on and so forth. So I immediately upgraded and invested in upgrading my digital presence. Uh, number two, because we physically can't go do our advisory work in person, we've also invet- invested in a whole bunch of tools to do digital whiteboards and interactive polls and really bring disparate audiences together for an immersive, not just interactive, but an immersive experience. I'm also investing in an AI-enabled engine to automate what I have created in relationship economics, what I've created and co-create to do exactly what I said, is a lot of the relationship development, nurturing, sustaining towards some sort of an outcome. Kevin, is very, it's a lot of heavy lifting. It's very labor-intensive. It's, la- it's very data-intensive exactly what AI engines are built for. So 
we're developing something called R-E-A-I-E. So it's Relationship Economics, AI Enable, pronounced Ray. And Ray, you give it a goal, you give it an outcome you're after with a high degree of, almost like a profile, with a high degree of confidence, it scours your relationships, your network, and will actually recommend, here are the five people you Uh, need for that outcome. Interesting. Wow, that's fascinating. Anyway, we can get into this later. How can people uh, find out about you, uh, contact you, where do they go? Sure. So the easiest place is just our website, norgroup, N-O-U-R group.com. You can also Google my name, David Nor, N-O-U-R, and you'll see uh, articles, blogs, videos. Uh, we have a, a podcast, the Curve Benders podcast, as you know. We have a, a private community called the Nor Forum. So again, if you have gathered anything from our conversation, I'm passionate about this topic and uh, I'd welcome our audience to learn more and there's all kinds of free tools they can download and learn more about my efforts it's a great podcast podcast folks go online again uh curb bender podcast a lot of good information in there uh i'm subscribed now as well i've have i have not yet left a review i will i will get you more reviews please go to the very bottom all the way to the bottom all get the, a the bottom, man. keep scrolling keep scrolling down there well david we talked about a lot today relationships the gig economy automation innovation and visionary leadership david through all of these conversations at the end of this podcast, what is your definition of a real leader? I, I have to credit this to uh, Hal Gregerson, who is uh, the executive director at the uh, MIT Leadership uh, Institute and a leadership center. And, and, I, and I love Hal's description. A, a, a leader creates an environment for inquiry, which allows his or her team to explore and and really bolsters their success to implementing and learning from that exploration. So the great leaders I know are managing their present while they invent their future. Mm. And they bolster the success of others on their teams to accelerate that journey with them. We'll love it, David. We'll appreciate your time coming on the Realtors Podcast today. We ask you to stick around for a few questions for after the show. But for David Nor, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, manage the present to invent the future. And always, folks, keep it real. Thanks, David. And thank you, Real Leaders, for listening to this episode with David Noor. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Okay, got two things for you. First, Thank you for leaving a review. We're at 45 reviews, folks. We're five short of our goal by August. I am not moving the goalpost back. I'm not going to ask you to leave a review today. Just want to say thanks. When you aim high, sometimes you might not make that goal, but you'll get higher than you probably would have thought if you had aimed a little bit lower. So just want to appreciate you all for helping me out, helping this podcast out to keep us going. Because that's right, folks. We are continuing the hustle and we are bringing on some of the best thought leaders in conscious leadership and algorithmic leadership uh, and, and customer experience leadership. We've got it all, folks. And I don't want you to miss out. So go online to realleaders.com, the podcast tab, and just go to live events. You can follow our Crowdcast channel and be notified via email when a new episode is released. Second thing. 
If you want to connect with myself on LinkedIn, just search me, Kevin Edwards. Let me know about the show and how I can help you out as well. And lastly, follow Real Leaders on LinkedIn because all of these episodes are streamed live. See, David went on for another 15 minutes after the show and I don't want you to miss it. So again, folks, thanks for leaving the reviews. Stay tuned on Crowdcast and make sure to follow our LinkedIn. Thanks again for being a real leader and stay tuned for the next episode.